0: Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Blaming on the Aliens. I'm your host, Callie. And this week, I have some very spooky paranormal stories. I'm on a paranormal kick right now. I feel like I've neglected the paranormal subreddit thus far. And I've done paranormal-ish type of stories like Glitch in the Matrix. And, you know, last week's episode was paranormal. But yeah, I'm going hard the paranormal story so hopefully that's okay with you guys also I did include one kind of archived story that is one of my favorites that I haven't included on the episode yet I don't know why but it will be included at the end and it's from Backwoods Creepy and it's a really good one so I really want you guys thoughts on that one and also don't forget to rate, review, subscribe and scroll down in the description on Spotify and Answer the question and the poll to give me feedback. So, with that being said, and without further ado, let's get into it. I work as an EMT for an ambulance company. EMS has always been full of superstitions, and most of us believe in the supernatural on account of all the crazy, gruesome stuff we get to see on any given shift. Every company, every EMT, every firefighter has a story about a station that is haunted or something that happened to them that can only be explained as paranormal. For the company I work at, we have about five stations— each with their own stories. Only one or two truly scary stories, though. Mostly things like employees seeing shadows out of the corner of their eyes, getting uneasy feelings in stations, or hearing unexplained knocks, voices, or being hissed or growled at occasionally. And the station I work at was no different. The station I work at is our main station, meaning that is where we keep all of our extra resupply so it's not uncommon for various crews to be going in and out of the station at all hours of the day. It was common knowledge that the Ambulance Bay was creepy at night. Now, I've worked at this station for two years, and I've heard these things, but it's always been easy to dismiss as my partner doing something out in the bay or another crew doing something late at night, resupply, etc. The only experience I've had there that I couldn't explain was I was distinctly growled at in the garage late one night. At that time, I quickly realized that the person, the only person in the bay, was me. Then I certainly didn't growl at myself. And I quickly left. That was all I ever experienced there. And for the most part, I felt very comfortable at that station. Until last night, The station is small and consists of a living room with a kitchenette attached to a hallway. This hallway leads to the other garage on one side and the bathroom on the other, and at the end of the hallway is a door leading to the junior's bedroom, which you can then walk through to get to the senior's bedroom. If you go into the garage, there's a staircase that leads into the attack that stretches above the entire living quarters of the station. Me, Junior, and my partner, Senior, are dead asleep in our respective bedrooms. All the doors closed. When I'm awoken to all these loud banging noises and the walls shaking, I realize that this banging isn't just banging, but actually running. Something huge, heavy, and fast is stomping and running around in the attack upstairs. It's just stomping and running so loud, it's quite literally shaking the walls. Whatever it was must have been huge to have been making sounds this loud. Then it gets faster. It's so fast and loud, it's running across the entire length of the attack. It's moving faster than anything can move. The stomping is happening one right after another. And it often sounded like there were like ten people up there or a creature with too many legs running right above my bed. I mean, it was so fast. Too fast. I'm sitting upright in my bed now, huddled in the corner of the bedroom, absolutely horrified. I get this deep, visceral, primal feeling of dread. Almost like what prey must feel like when they are being hunted. And suddenly... It's as if a thought from somewhere else is placed into my mind and I just know with every fiber of my being that it knows that I am awake and that I know it's there. Like sick, twisted version of that Spider-Man meme. In between the stomping and the running, I can hear this barking, whirling sound. It's hard to to describe, but like a grunt mixed with the sound of wind, it's making this sound as it's running. And I realize that it's moving so fast I can hear the wind it is creating, swooshing and whipping around, and it's grunting as it's running. So now I very silently get up and I walk over to the senior bedroom door and I try to open it, but it's locked. I feel as though I can't make a noise or it will come through into the station and kill me. I'm quietly knocking on the door. I'm crying, pleading for my partner to let me in. And I'm thinking, this is so loud, there's no way she's asleep. But she is. She's out cold and I don't get a response. I decided that my partner had the right idea and I crept over to the junior bedroom door, separating my bedroom from the hallway that leads to the garage and the rest of the station and lock the door. So I silently creep back over to my corner in the bed with my blankets and begin to text her. It's 1.45 and I am begging her to wake up over text and describing what I'm hearing. She's not answering, so I text her fiancé and ask him to call her and wake her up, but... He's not answering either. It's at this point I decide to text my mom. As I'm sitting there, you get a similar feeling to before an intense dread, a stark realization of pure truth. It doesn't even feel like my own thought. I mean, more like a piece of truth was just slipped to me by the universe. The thing upstairs is not human. I'm explaining to my mom what I'm hearing all these loud swishing wind sounds and stomping and running and then I hear it run down the stairs when I tell you my heart stopped and my soul left my body when I heard coming down the stairs my stomach dropped into my ass and I was nauseous I genuinely thought I was going to die I was waiting for it to start pounding on the door and I'd never been more thankful in my life because I thought to have locked it earlier. I was waiting for screaming or the door to start shaking or something, but it never came. It ran impossibly fast and hard back up the stairs, up the stairs, down the stairs, across the attack, down the attack, above my head in circles, down the stairs, up the stairs, down the stairs, across the attack, down the stairs. It's going all over. Too fast. So now I am absolutely hysterical on the phone with my mom. No one ever prepared me for dealing with being hunted and taunted by a demon. And my mom is trying to calm me down. She asks me, what do you want me to do? I didn't know. I don't know what she can do. I don't know what to do. I just whisper, I don't know what to do. Please just don't hang up. She tells me to bang on my partner's door and wake her up. And I do. My partner wakes up, and I hear rustling in the bedroom, and she goes, Yeah, and a dismissive voice and slowly walks over to the door and opens it. I literally shoved her back into the room, whipped around faster than I've ever moved in my life, closed the door, and locked it. I explained to her everything I was hearing, and we go and sit on the bed. The activity is dying down now, but it's still active enough for her to hear the running upstairs, too. It is now 2.45. Another crew that gets off at 3 got to our station to put their truck away and clock out to go home. And me and my partner huddled together, glued to each other's hips, hurried outside together to meet with them out in the building parking lot. And it's at this point we realized that a completely separate crew from around or 2311 p.m. that night had not only left our truck full of medical equipment and drugs unlocked out in the parking lot in an area known for being a not-so-great area, but also left our garage door open, giving literally just anybody access to our entire station. Me and my partner are terrified and aren't willing to go back into the station at this point. The crew that's getting off at 3 goes into the station to clock out, and when they come back, they see us hanging out in our truck. They joke with us for a minute over the ghost and make fun of us for sleeping in the truck for the rest of the shift. We ask him if they heard anything, and to which the senior on that crew, who has been there for a long time and staunchly believe in the supernatural, says, yeah, it definitely sounds like there is someone walking up there, but he's harmless. Me and my partner are just harmless? That thing is not harmless. They leave, and we decide to call for PD to make sure it wasn't some crackhead that had gotten in while the garage door had been left open. PD got there and searched through everything thoroughly and found no one and no evidence of anyone being there. It is 4, and we notify our dispatch that the station was cleared by PD, and together we venture back inside. We elected to keep the truck in the parking lot so we could have to go back into the garage if we got a call or needed to make a quick escape from the demon. And together we huddled together in the living room with all the lights on until we got off at seven. I heard a few minor bumps and bangs, but nothing crazy. Things that could be dismissed as house noises and whatnot. I barely slept, and I'm not looking forward to going back there later this week. Little update. It's nowhere near as crazy as what happened last time I was here, but there was some activity during my shift today that I figured you all would like to hear. Most of the shift was perfectly fine. We were busy and out of the station most of the day and a couple of times throughout the night. While we were in the station, though, there was some tension. The air was thick with our own anxiety, and I'm sure that this is what caused what I'm about to tell you. And for some context, out in the bay, there is a cage. It's literally just a large metal cage that runs along the back of the garage, and it's where we keep all of our resupply. The door to the cage is supposed to be always locked. This is to prevent crews from going in and messing up the company inventory. The only people with keys to the cage are the supervisors, who don't come in until around 7. I was lying in bed. I was half awake, half asleep, just kind of staring up the ceiling, when I heard what sounded like the cage door being intensely rattled by something. It didn't sound like someone was trying to open the door, it just sounded like someone grabbed a hold of the door and just started violently shaking it. This went on for about a minute. I went to my partner's bedroom to see if she heard it and found that she slept right through it. We sat there for about 30 minutes listening to it and nothing. It's 5.50 and I can hear distinct footsteps up in the attic. Nothing crazy like the intense marathon running from the other day, but quiet footsteps up there. My partner says she can't hear them, so I just go back to my room. It's 6.30, and I can still hear an occasional footstep up there. And to be clear, no one goes up there because it's creepy and there is nothing up there. It's just some boxes in an extremely, extremely dark attic space. Because I was only hearing some footsteps, I decided to go out into the garage and investigate. When I get into the garage, the footsteps stop. There was no one in the garage. When I went over to the cage to try and recreate the noise I heard, I found that the door was open. I'm not totally convinced that it wasn't just a person opening the cage door a bit aggressively. The only problem is that I have no idea who it would be, because as I said, there are only a few people who have a key to the cage, and none of them are here, and they don't get here for another few hours. I went back inside, and I could hear again the footsteps upstairs, and now it sounded like the garage. I tried to record the footsteps, but they were too faint to pick up on the video. I also, I wanted to point out that the crew we met outside the other day that was making fun of us for hanging out in the truck had made comments about how he likes to do resupply and to slam the caged door, though I guess today he just wanted to rattle the door. I'm not totally convinced that what happened today was a ghost and not a person but I'm also not totally convinced that it was a person and not a ghost it's now 6 50 I get off my shift in 10 minutes I won't be back here for another 10 days and I'd be lying if I said I was sad about that Prior to 2016, I lived in Palmdale, California. My sister, Honey, and my youngest daughter lived with my mother in a rented townhouse apartment in Oxnard about two hours away. Every week or two, I made the long drive to take them shopping and clean their house because they were both disabled. My mother was my heart, and my sweet sister helped raise me, so anything they needed, I was there for them. On the first floor, the kitchen was in the back with a door that opened to the backyard and then a big open space, then the living room and the front door. On the right, the bathroom and my mother's bedroom, the stairs were on the left with the half wall railing going up to the first landing, and my mom was sitting in her lift recliner on the right facing the base of the stairs. One night, we were all sitting in the living room watching a show with the lights on, and my daughter was upstairs in her room. We were laughing at something we saw on the TV when I saw something on the stairs. It darted down the steps really fast, peeking up at me and then ducked down behind the railing, followed by a cold chill that entered the living room. My mother commented that it was cold and pulled her robe together. At first, I thought it was my daughter playing tricks on me, but when she didn't pop up, I felt concerned. And I said, Mom, did you see something? Because she had full sight of everything there. She said, No, dear, I thought I did, but there's nothing there. That's when it hit me, and instinctively I knew what it was and where it came from. I ran up the stairs and burst into my daughter's room. What did you do? She looked at me with her eyes wide. She knew exactly what I was referring to and started apologizing. I told her to tell me what she did to bring it into this house and she proceeded to tell me that when her girlfriends were there, they thought it would be fun to summon a spirit. Then they tried to reach the father of one of her friends who passed away two years prior, but she said something else came through and it scared them so they stopped and her friends ran home without even saying goodbye. Well, I was furious, how dare you play with something you don't understand, I told her and I knew she was just trying to help a friend, but for heaven's sakes, I warned her years ago never to mess around with things that she didn't understand and had no control over. I was thinking that not only do I constantly worry about my family's health, now I have to worry about this. I asked if she at least closed the door, and she looked at me with a blank stare. Obviously, she did not. She said they made a Ouija board out of paper. And when they were done, she ripped it up and threw it away. That door had to be closed. We gathered the pieces, and she called her friends. Two of them were too scared to come back, so we had to perform the closing without them. But in the back of my head, I knew that it didn't work, and it was still there, hiding. At that point, there was nothing I could have done, viewing the circumstance at that time. Fast forward to 2016. I had an opportunity waiting for me in Washington State, so I begged and pleaded for my mother and my sister to go with me, but my sister, honey, was fanatically scared of change, and although my mother desperately wanted to go with me, she couldn't leave my sister's side. I wish now I was more persistent. So I moved, reluctantly leaving them with my daughter and her now husband to take over care. Within those two years, my eldest sister Honey's health severely declined and my mother shared with me eight months after I moved that she was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. I flew and drove back and forth to be with them and every time I showed them pretty pictures of my new life in our beautiful green surroundings, asking them to return with me and every time Honey would say that she was too apprehensive to leave and said no. 2018, they both passed away. My mother from cancer, and my sister from an existing illness, taking a big part of my heart and my soul with them. My daughter and her husband moved out, leaving all of my mother and sister's things there. Somebody had to put their stuff in storage, and of course it had to be me. Even though I was the youngest of six, I felt it was my duty. I drove there with my two grandchildren, eight and four, because at the time there was no one available to watch them for that long of a period. When we arrived, the place was in shambles. Dirty dishes and moldy food lined the counters and was piled up in the sink and it looked like soot all over the floor. Mom and Honey's personal belongings were strewn around the house and in my mother's room, a barricade of trash piled up all the way to her door. In the middle of the floor in the open space was a full-length mirror I'd never seen before hanging off of a wooden ladder. I just stood there, and cried. I set up a clean spot in the living room for my grandson to play on his tablet, and my granddaughter wanted to help. As I was bagging things up in the kitchen, I noticed her just standing there, staring into the mirror. I didn't think anything of it, but she kept standing there. And then I heard her say to me, while not looking away, "'Nana, can you get rid of this mirror?' I thought she just wanted me to move it, but she was adamant that it had to be taken out of the house. I asked her why. She looked so scared, and she told me that while she was looking into the mirror, she was standing alone. She couldn't see anything in the reflection around or behind her, just darkness all around her, and something was coming. I looked at the mirror, not at myself, and it did look very dark. Say no more. Not only did I take it outside, I smashed it into little pieces and threw it into the trash can. We decided to sleep in the living room, and it took days to even come close to being done. This was the last night, and we were alone. I just mopped downstairs, so I locked the doors and all the windows in the whole house, and we slept upstairs in the bedroom across from my daughter's old room. We hunkered down on some mattresses on the floor. I always left a little light on in the hall i'm reading a book online my granddaughter had fallen asleep next to me and my grandson was on his tablet at the end of the bed i was getting sleepy and my grandson started to yawn and he looked up from his tablet and his eyes got big and then he ran to the door shouting spooky and slammed it running back and quickly got under the covers and got as close to me as he could making me feel very uneasy I could see movement in the hall dimming the light around and under the foot of the door, making swirling, strange shapes as if someone were pacing, followed by surges of blackness and whips of cool air coming from the space under the door. That night was long, and I felt on guard until I finally fell asleep as well, but woke up hours later and had to go to the bathroom. but I was too scared. I was waiting until daybreak, but I couldn't wait any longer. I slowly opened the door, fearing for what was waiting for me on the other side. There was nothing, but I knew there was. I I could feel it. I tried to be as fast as I could, and I left the bathroom door open so I could hear the kids. Then I ran back, hearing a swoosh behind me. I slammed the door and laid, holding the kids until daybreak. I received a call from my sister later that morning. She couldn't understand how we had been able to stay in that house when I asked her why, she told me that when she was there, grabbing some boxes of pictures, she heard noises coming from my daughter's room upstairs. She said it was loud, and she felt an evil presence, and everything inside of her told her to leave, so she did. She also told me that my son-in-law, from which I had no knowledge of at the time, was practicing black magic and summoning dark energy in that room. Not cool. Not cool. Late that afternoon, everything was done. The kids were in the car, and the car was packed. I just wanted to look in my mother's bedroom one last time where she used to sleep. These walls held so many memories. I felt like if I looked hard enough, I would be able to see her laying where the bed had been and, and my mind telling me not to cry. As I stood in the doorway, a chill went up my spine, the hairs on the back of my neck, and my arms started to raise and I could feel something closing in on me. In my ear, I felt a warm breath and heard one loud word run. I ran out of the house so fast, not even locking the door. As we were driving off, my granddaughter asked me who that was standing in the window upstairs. So let me just explain the type of person I am before my story is considered bullshit. I would totally understand anyway, if most, if not all, would think it was. I am a non-believer of all that is paranormal, as I feel anything has scientific reasoning behind it. I did, however, used to be a hardcore Catholic up until the age of 19, and I am now 27. Anyway, I've lived in my apartment for about six years now with my son and his father, and yes, we're all not religious at all. However, the last few years, I've seen things out of the corner of my eyes, like white shadows. I keep telling myself, oh, they're just shadows of flies, mosquitoes, people walking by, etc. So I always just brush them off two months ago an event that keeps bothering me and honestly makes me tear up every time i think about it made me come to this conclusion tonight to make an account on reddit because i know no one would believe me especially my family one night i decided to lay down on my couch in the living room and just look up articles on my phone while the show gypsy on netflix played in the background mind you a couple of minutes prior My son's father decided to go outside and smoke a cigarette, which he acknowledged and told me he was doing so, since sometimes he'd go to the liquor store at the corner of our street, so he just wanted to let me know he was only going out to smoke. Well, five minutes later, and I can't even type this without tearing up, he comes back inside, looks at me like if I did something wrong as he walks into the bedroom. Note. To get to the bedroom in my apartment, you have to walk directly in front of the TV and across everything, everyone in the living room. The bedroom door is slightly to the left of me and I see him through the door looking through his dresser, like pushing through paperwork, trying to find something, quickly pushing his dresser shut and going into the bathroom and slamming it shut and really hard. I yell, damn, hello? What happened? And I'm pissed because our kid is asleep and I'm mad he'd wake our kid up from slamming the bathroom door shut so hard. I keep looking at the bathroom, waiting for him to come out so I can give him shit about slamming the door. And the front door of the apartment opens 10 minutes later. My son's dad comes walking in and I just couldn't breathe. I immediately looked over at the bathroom door and I I can see from the corners of it the light is on inside but the door is completely shut. I told my son's dad if he can open the bathroom door and he does. No one is inside but he just goes to pee and sits down in the living room when he's done. I didn't tell him about this until this week after it had happened. And I haven't told anyone about this other than him because, come on, we all know why, but like I said earlier, weird things have gone on in my apartment. And I should mention that random things have ended up in random places, like my cell phone on top of the stove, my oven turned off by itself, my bathroom door closing shut. I don't know if my apartment has become a vessel or something for interdimensional crossing but I know that something is not right. I've had to drop my classes because I can't focus. I have the worst anxiety every day and I always see white shadow seemingly running across my living room from left to right. If anyone else has experienced this, please don't hesitate to comment. Edit 1 Yes, I have a carbon monoxide detector, and yes, it works. Two, I can see why people would think it's an early symptom of schizophrenia, and I've taken a fair amount of psychology courses, including abnormal psychology, and I don't feel that this is it. Three, yes, I will still get a physical to rule out anything that could be messing with me neurologically. Four, I don't know why people find it odd or are confused that I call my son's father just that because he is lol and we are currently not together. 5. I would also like to address that just because we aren't together at the moment doesn't mean we have bad will towards each other. In fact, we are very much best friends and rarely disagree on much. And in my apartment, you can see everything. So I'd know if he tried to sneakingly mess with me. Six. No, we are not on drugs. We are not alcoholics. We are not religious at all. Seven, and finally, I take and have taken everything into consideration as to what logical reasons could explain this. I just wanted to share my story and read others' experiences. I used to be a tour guide in popular tourist town in Tennessee. My job at the time was to take people on a circuitous two-mile walk around the town, telling them the ghost stories of the people who had lived there. During the summer tours, they started a little before sundown and would end well after dark. All in all, it would take us roughly one to two hours to get through the tour, depending on the walking speed of my group. Just to preface this, The vast majority of stories we told were not true. They were either largely exaggerated, entirely fabricated, or simply gruesome stories of local murders with the paranormal twist added at the end with the ghost of the killer still lurking about. I didn't write the script. Don't blame me. In fact, I always visited a local museum and sourced authentic ghost stories from a curator in order to add a few of my own to the tour, which were actually authentic. That said, there were a handful of times during my stint as tour guide in which I had experiences that were not so easily explained. In this post, I'm going to detail three of the most interesting ones. Story one. One of the tools we got for our tours were EMF detectors, which I'm sure you're mostly all familiar with, but they're intended to scan for electromagnetic frequencies. And will detect the relative strength of a signal they pick up now just because one of these things goes off doesn't mean you're seeing a ghost they also pick up power lines and will go off like crazy near a generator but if you're in the middle of nowhere and you suddenly get a strong signal it's worth looking into now these detectors we used had about five lights on them changing in hue from green to yellow to red red meant no signal and green indicated a strong signal. The light never goes below red unless you turn the thing off. That's the baseline. At the end of our tour, we would come to an old graveyard. Nobody buried there in at least 100 years. After I did my thing with the final story, people would wander around and look at the graves with flashlights and scare themselves shitless. But one night as they were wandering, a man called me over to see one of the graves. I went over and had a look and saw what the problem was. Whenever he passed his EMF detector over this particular grave, all the lights would turn off. I mean, the entire machine would turn itself off when it was over this grave and turn back on as soon as you moved it away. We tried with a couple of other graves, but only this one had the effect. We were curious about the grave, so we tried to read the name of the person, but the headstone was too worn down for us to read it. The first name, Thomas, was faintly able to be read, but the surname was too hard to read. We had the whole group, five people, leaning over at this point trying to read it, and we all heard the same thing. As one of the group members wondered aloud what the man's surname was, a loud voice behind us shouted, Whaley. As you may have guessed, there was nobody behind us when we turned around and we called the tour to a close shortly after that. I never mess with that specific grave again, except to place some flowers on it one time, as was my habit every once in a while since nobody visited that place anymore. Story two. At the end of the tour, sometimes I would get tips if people had fun or got spooked. Older Boomer and Gen X men really enjoyed the charade of the covert handshake tip, where they palm you the money as they shake your hand. I always indulge the bit because, hey, I was getting a tip. One tour I ran had a family of three, a mother, father, daughter, and an older man who I initially thought was grandpa, but later learned had been lumped into their group because we didn't run solo tours. The old guy was pretty quiet throughout the tour, but would occasionally ask very pointed questions that stood out to me as odd. I don't remember most of his questions anymore, This was years ago. But one example is that I was telling a story of a girl who fell from a balcony and her ghost haunts the river she plummeted into to this day. And he asked me if I thought she died right away when she hit the ground or whether I thought she died slow and suffered. Just weird things like that. Well, at the end of the tour, the family took off into the graves to have a look about, see if ghosts would show up in their pictures, etc., old man came to give me that typical handshake and mentally I was thinking that all his weird behavior could be easily forgotten if he tipped well. The handshake was normal except that his hand was ice cold. But old folks have cold hands so I didn't think about it too much. Except he didn't palm me a dollar, he palmed me a coin. I thought it was a half dollar when I felt it at first but it was too big. I turned a glance at the guy, and he walked past me to leave. And I shit you not, he was just gone. The path leaving the graveyard was downhill, and you had visibility from the top for at least 300 feet. There was no way he could have covered that distance in that time, and I didn't even hear running. Just this old, tottering man in front of me, one second and gone in the blink of an eye when he walked past me. When I got home and looked up the coin, I learned it was a one-troy-ounce silver bullion, minted to an older year. I don't remember exactly. I can check the year when I get home this evening if anyone cares. But overall, the experience left me a little shocked, and the family agreed he was really odd when I walked them back to their car. Apparently, the guy greeted their daughter by name when they arrived at the meetup spot a few minutes before me, and they had no idea who he was. Story three. So two weird experiences, but no ghostly apparitions or demonic screams. Unfortunately, most nights in the ghost tour were entirely mundane. However, I have got one more odd story I experienced which really set my belief of ghosts into stone. One of the town stops in our tour was an old cabin where the town's progenitor once lived. The cabin has been moved around a couple of times to build parking garages, but has since been placed back on its original spot. We don't actually have a photo of the woman who founded the town, but we have got pictures of her granddaughter, who everyone at the time swore was a dead ringer for her grandmother. Because of this, an old black and white photo of her granddaughter is on the sign outside of the cabin. The cabin is kept locked up with the padlock at all times except when the Historical Society opens it up for school groups. The windows are so dirty you can't even see inside. And most of the time, it's too dark to get a decent look inside anyway. Regardless, I like to encourage people to peek through the cracks in the old wood because they'd psych themselves into thinking they saw something move and a spooky tour is a tour with good tips. Anyways, one night after I did the whole spiel about her founding the town and how people say they can see her ghost within the cabin on some nights to this day, I let them all have a go at peeking inside. One of the younger teens in the group approached me after looking inside, and we had a very odd conversation. These kids, 13 to 16, usually think it makes them cool to be a skeptical and show everyone they're not scared. So he asked me something like, who's in the costume? I was a little confused and explained how the photo on the sign is a picture of the granddaughter of the town's founder, but that she wasn't wearing a costume. That was how people dressed at the time. The little shit rolled his eyes and told me he meant the woman in the cabin. Of course, I had to have a look, so I peeked through, and sure enough, a street light was shining through the dirty windows and letting in a diffuse sort of light, and you could just make out the figure in a rocking chair, sitting in the corner of the dark cabin, rocking back and forth. It was hard to get a good look at her, but from what I saw, she did look just like the woman in the photo. I moved the group on pretty fast because, quite frankly, I was a little afraid it was a homeless person who'd broken in somehow. If it was, I had a group of six kids and one parent, homeschoolers, I think. I didn't want anybody getting hurt or snatched. But I stopped by the cabin again on the way to my car, and the lock was on tight and undamaged. I peeked inside again, and there wasn't even a rocking chair in the cabin. In the whole time I worked the tour route, roughly two years, I never saw a chair in that cabin again, or any old woman for that matter. So anyway, those are my stories. I know they aren't as sensational as some, but I thought I'd share my experiences with you all. I have a few more odd stories that I can share if you like, but they're all more explainable by mundane means if not still creepy and odd. This happened to me approximately 15 years ago. I've tried to rationalize what happened to me so many times over the years and convince myself it never happened or that I was dreaming. But each time I do that, I keep coming back to how well I remember things about that day. I remember exactly what I was wearing. I remember the exact feel of the chilly breeze against my skin that day. And I remember the feeling of the cold stone step I was sitting on. I have never remembered a dream with such clarity. I had a bad childhood. I grew up very poor. When this happened, I was about 17 years old, between 4 to 5 p.m. on an autumn evening. And I'd just had one of many huge arguments with my grandmother and my brother. I'd left the house in anger and sat down on the step outside to get away from them, Pretty much as soon as I sat down, I looked up into the sky above the houses opposite where I lived and I saw this huge black thing silently hovering overhead. I've tried and tried over the years to be able to describe it better than a thing, but I just can't. I've tried drawing it and again, I just can't seem to get it right. You know how a stealth aircraft has lots of angles to it? That's the closest thing that I can compare it to, except it looks like no human aircraft I've ever seen. It looked as if it had windows on the front, and I definitely got the impression that, just as I was staring at it transfixed, whoever or whatever was inside this thing was scrutinizing me as it hovered, motionless and silent, in the sky above me. I have no idea how long I stared at it for. It could have been a long time or just a few seconds, but... I remember that I felt absolutely no fear whatsoever during any of this, only a sense of astonishment at what I was seeing and wondering if anyone else was seeing what I was. I don't remember seeing any other people on the street at the time, nor any vehicles passing. That's my story. I have no memory of what happened after I saw it, nor do I remember taking my eyes off it. I'd forgotten about the whole thing for a number of years until a random conversation with my girlfriend somehow made me remember it. I have since researched the strange paranormal and read somewhere that these types of encounters can occur to younger people or those who are going through periods of heightened emotional stress. I realize people are going to call me crazy or mock me for whatever happened, but I know what I saw and I'd be very interested to get opinions from others to find out if anyone has ever encountered anything similar. When I was a kid, I lived in Clinton, Tennessee. Both parents worked full-time, so I was often sent over to stay with my grandparents who had a plot of land in the vicinity of, but not right in, Mossheim near Greenville. Both of them had been in East Tennessee for their whole lives and that area for a good many years. They had been established at their home for some decades before this story and remained there for a good time after. Recently, I had reason to return to that area, Tennessee, after having spent the majority of my adult life in Minnesota. Being in and around the area, driving the same roads made me reminisce about the lazy summer days tucked away at my grandparents, learning to shoot on the same 22 with which my grandfather taught my mom, feeding fish at a neighbor's stock pond, or spotting deer and bear with binoculars from the back porch. When I relayed this to my mom, she in turn told me a story about a time that I scared my grandpa half to death and then lied about having hung out with Bigfoot. At first, I had no idea what she was talking about. Then I remembered exactly what actually happened with startling clarity. New context given by the experience of adulthood provides. And no, this is not about Bigfoot or a cryptid. Before we start, some information about my grandparents' land. Their house was on a small hill surrounded by a grass lawn. The lawn gave way to a smallish hayfield and then the wood line. Those woods lasted for a good half a mile to either side of the home and a good several miles to the back. I hated the hayfield because it was too pokey to play in, but liked to hang out in the creek that ran behind it. To get there, I would walk to the edge of the property just into the woodline to avoid the hay. And while at my grandparents, the only rules were that I stay where I could see the house so the house could see me. I was to take a whistle with me anywhere I went. I didn't take the whistle, seeing it as a badge of my regrettably young age. And the best part of the creek was out of sight of the house. That was the only stretch where it got deeper than my knees and thus the only part that I could swim. Naturally, I spent much of my time in that water, splashing around, skipping stones, and being a kid. One day, I was playing in the creek when I noticed someone. It was a man, a stranger, on the bank watching me. He had long hair, a beard, and pale skin, so dirty it was stained. I couldn't tell his age and simply thought of him as old. I have no better guess now, as he clearly went through long years of hard living. He wore no shirt, no pants, only a wrap of dirty cloth around his waist that I thought of as a Moses dress, thanks to some illustrated Bible stories. Around his neck, there were multiple necklaces made from knotted totters of cloth fiber and string. In those knots were various pieces of detritus, mostly bones, but some flowers and bits of dark glass. When I first saw him there by the creek, I was terrified, I mean terrified, frozen still. The man, however, was smiling. He gestured from his squat with an outstretched arm, fingers down, and a kind of don't stop for me wave. I didn't react, startled and reeling. Then he splashed at me, still smiling. He did it again. I splashed back and soon we were playing. We both threw water on each other. He jumped into the creek and stomped around with me, laughing all the while. He threw rocks into the water and so did I. I pushed him, he pushed me back, We carried on for some minutes until my grandma called for me. With her voice, a switch had turned off. The man stopped in his tracks, gaze fixed back toward the house. Then as my grandpa kept on hollering, he looked to me and he crept back to his side of the creek barely disturbing the water and then slid into the brush, completely silent the whole way, holding my gaze. Once he was out of sight, I waited in the water until my grandma found me. She wanted to know if I was alone. I said no. She became very tense, asking who was with me while looking around. I didn't answer. I didn't know how. Seeing no one, she pulled me back to the house without any more words, gripped like iron the whole time. At the house, the real inquisition began. I didn't really have new words, the event and this reaction overwhelming my ability to explain. Such silence further irked my grandma and I was swiftly placed in a corner, held without bail, awaiting patriarchal judgment. Around an hour later, my grandpa came home from work and he was told about my churlishness and was ready to set into me again when I started talking. I told him about the man, hairy and old, dressed like Moses, about how he played, then he disappeared. I remember they digested this for a few minutes before sending me to my room. I was happy to go, and happier still, Grandpa didn't yell like he usually did when I misbehaved. Later, I was brought out for dinner. I ate the kitchen with Grandma, but Grandpa called me to the back porch. He was on the swinging bench, looking out over the hayfield turned red by the setting sun. He had kicked off his boots and put them next to his shotgun. I knew that was odd for the gun to be out of the closet. Previously, we had used it to shoot bottles. I would throw them into the air like they were clay pigeons. These escapades were accompanied with speeches about how the gun was dangerous and only for adults to use. He went through my story again, his tone deadly serious. Eventually, he asked me how hairy the man was, really, and I told him, Barry, thinking this was the right answer. He asked, where? I told him, everywhere, like a bear. He ruminated on this and I grew more nervous, worried I was in trouble or causing trouble, just wanting the trouble wherever it lie to end. So when he finally asked me to swear in the name of Christ and on my mother that I was telling the truth about everything, I said I had been joking. He finally yelled at me and sent me back to my room. The family memory became that I had hid by the creek and made up a tale about Bigfoot. At the time, everyone was upset with me and I was forbidden from going back to the creek or anywhere out of sight. The enforcement of this rule, like the others, was lackluster. Even so, for a time, I didn't go to the creek. In my memory, I stayed away for a very long time, but I'm sure it was only just for a few days, that hiatus feeling interminable to my elementary age self. When I did start going to the creek, I took a bucket of toys, mostly Godzilla, and a thick stick plucked from the wood line on the way. I think I was conflicted about what to do if the man came back, imagining either impressing him with my toy collection or clubbing him, or both in turn. When he did show back up, he appeared next to me as I dozed under a tree on my side of the creek. I was once again gripped with terror. He was not smiling. His face was expressionless as he lurked beside me, having watched for who knows how long before I smelled him. I scrambled away, leaving my stick and toys behind. Coming to my feet a yard out, I stood in the sun while the man watched me from the shade. Eventually, he crouched and started to look through my bucket. I remember becoming indignant as he examined my toys one by one, only to toss them into the dirt. It became too much and I started to lecture the man, telling him about how much he got me in trouble, how he was a weirdo, how he stank. At some point, he stopped looking through my things and calmly watched my tirade. Face still neutral, eyes analytic. Once I had concluded my lecture, I sat back under the tree to pout, having become hot in the sun. I remember the man made a noise, a grinding kind of snort, and when I looked over at him, he was chuckling while he inspected the last few figures in my bucket. I wanted to laugh too, but was more determined to stay sullen. Once everything was out of the bucket, he put one figure back in. Then he then stood to his hunched fullest, took the bucket by its handle, began to make his way back into the woods. I stayed by the tree until he turned, said something, not a word I knew or know, and gestured with a forward sweep of his hand. At first, I didn't comply despite knowing he wanted me to follow, but after a few moments, he yipped, clicked his teeth and gestured again more emphatically. With this further prompt, I did get up and come along, the man making approving noises and putting on a smile again. We went into the woods, the man led, he was naturally quicker and quieter, making it hard to keep up. Eventually, he would stop when he lost me, knocking on trees with sticks and whistling so that I may find him in the vegetation. He never came back for me, opting instead to guide me forward with the noises. I became lost, having only a vague sense of my grandparents' place behind me. After some time, maybe 15 minutes, we came to a bald. The man had me wait there, indicated by patting the ground before going into the tree line alone. He returned from a different direction, pulling a sled. It was made from half of discarded plastic drum and lined with small pelts and smooth bark. On the back half there rested the fly covered carcasses, squirrels, possums, and other critters savaged into anonymity. On the pulling in, woven pouches were tied into place on it by the same eclectic cordage that made the man's necklaces. He put my bucket on the sled and tossed the figure in a pouch. He then called me closer with a glottal noise and beckoning wave. I saw the sled's pouches held many odds and ends, dried salamanders, mushrooms, metal bits, glass fragments, From one, the man pulled a square made from bound together sticks, just big enough to slip over my wrist. From another, he pulled a piece of fool's gold and a small shard of crusted something with a bit of purple crystal. And these he handed to me with an air of business and a few more utterings of nonsense. He then patted the ground for me to sit again. I did so without much bewilderment, understanding we had traded the same as exchanging Pokemon cards at recess. I didn't miss that figure anyway, as he was a bad guy. The bucket was a loss. In retrospect, I think that figure was chosen because its dull gold scales resembled something valuable and the bucket for its obvious ability to hold things. The man came back and gestured for me to follow by slapping his thigh. I did this readily. During the hike back, I tried to keep up and pay attention. I did so moderately well having to be whistled over a few times, I did notice that our path was not straight. The man led me one way and then another, making turns unneeded by the lay of the land. We eventually came out by the creek, but from a different approach than we had left. I could hear my grandma calling for me again, not from up on the hill, from out in the field. The man would not cross the creek but pushed me to do so. I did, but didn't go to my grandma. Instead, I crept back to the house and around to the opposite side. There I laid, the shrubs by our front door, pretending to sleep until I was found. I swore I had been there the whole time. When I was sent back to my room, I placed my fool's gold crystal and charm on the bedside table for safekeeping. The next day, I went back to the creek to pick up my toys, but the man wasn't there. However, throughout that summer, he did visit me again to sit under the tree or throw rocks at the water or yammer softly to himself. I would bring snacks and candy to share and he would likewise give me stringy dried meat, which I ought not to have ate, or honeysuckle blossoms, which I still would eat, taken from my old bucket. He seldom visited for long and never splashed and whooped like he did on that first meeting, At this point, you may be wondering why I have posted a backwoods creepy and not backwoods weird but wholesome, I guess. Well, there are two more occasions that I wanted to account for, one gruesome, one awful. The eventful one occurred near the 4th of July. I had bought two boxes of bang snaps to the creek the man was initially wary of the little fireworks, but quickly came to appreciate their miniature pyrotechnics. He took the box I gave him gratefully, even taking the empty box, likely for the wood shavings, which are excellent tender. During the use of the bang snaps, I had scared a turtle into the water and to the opposite bank. It sat there watching us from the far shore. The man, after stowing the bang snaps into the bucket, noticed the turtle and with little thought, he scooped up a smooth stone and threw it with force and accuracy into the turtle. He then waded over to retrieve the slider, which struggled meekly in his grasp. One leg knocked clean off. On my side of the river, he took from the bucket a new piece of stone. One side was rounded and fit in his hand, and the other came to a plenty cutting edge. Working with deft experience, the man began chopping the live turtle above its neck pulling up on the shell top and the thing was struggling and bleeding as it was bisected the dome eventually coming free the turtle dropped to mingle in its viscera with dirt and sand the man rinsed the shell in the river then offered it to me and in wordless horror i ran That evening, I came back to shuffle the dead turtle into the flowing waters of the creek. The shell itself was nowhere to be found. This experience did not deter me from going to the creek or the man from visiting again. However, sometimes he would try to call me away from the creek with thumps and whistles. I would tell him I heard him and refused to move. On some occasions, he would join me. On others, he would leave. The last time we met... We were sitting under the tree sharing cowtails. From the woods, there came whistling and the staccato knocking of a woodpecker. The man looked up and whistled back. There were a few more such exchanges before he stood, collected his bucket, and beckoned for me to follow. I was curious and felt comfortable with the man as a guide, so I did as asked. He took me back to the bald, a direct path this time, periodically stopping to call or respond to the other in the wood. Waiting for us at the bald was a woman and a child. The woman was dressed the same as the man, topless, wrapped around the waist. She was dirty with long hair and a wiry frame. and The child was in similar state, wearing a sack that went to their knees. The man sat on the ground and the woman joined him, sitting in his lap but leaning forward so that her elbows rested on her crossed knees. She had dark brown eyes that were fixed to me, The other child wouldn't look up. I didn't know what to do. I didn't speak. The other kid lifted their sack to wipe at their nose, and I learned under all that dirt, they were a her. The man made a noise and drummed on the woman's bare back. The kid looked at them, still hanging her head, hair covering her face. The woman yammered and swatted at the girl lazily, the man echoing her noises, slapping skin to skin once more. At this bizarre scene, the girl stumbled toward me, stopping close enough that I could smell her and hear her wheezing breath. She was thin but not emaciated and slightly taller than me, should she have straightened up. The man and woman fussed some more and the girl leaned close and pressed her cheek to mine. Her hair was in between us, greasy and cold. She made no move to embrace me, no move at all, only pressing limply against me and breathing so loud it was all I could hear. During this time, the woman had approached. She pulled the girl back by her shoulder with one hand and delivered a flurry of slaps to the crown of the girl's head. The woman then gathered the girl's hair in one hand, using the other to sweep back her bangs. And the girl was then made to look at me, face bare. One side of her jaw was bulged out Smooth skin over a lemon shaped bump. Her mouth was twisted by this deformity. Her nose faced to one side as if affixed sideways and leaked a trail of clear snot. One eye was bulged and roomy, and the other was startlingly regular. It looked at me blank and dark brown. The woman gave the girl's head a little shake, spat off to the side, and then cooed like a dove as she smiled at me. I fled and there was a commotion behind me. I think the girl was pushed to the ground. I didn't look back and they did not pursue. My flight ended at my grandparents' house, my absence unnoticed. I chose not to tell anyone what happened and wanting to forget, not wanting to get in trouble, not thinking about the girl, the couple, what was intended for me. I spent that August inside whenever I visited my grandparents. I begged not to be taken claiming it was boring and lonely. Sometimes when I sat on the porch or went from the car to the house, I'd catch a snippet of a bird call on the wind or the distant tapping of wood and hurry inside. My grandma could tell something was wrong and made an effort to entertain me in the town. My grandpa cared in his own way involving me in his errands as he never had before. And eventually school started. Classes and friends erased me away from the thoughts of the dirty man or the people in the clearing. Time did the rest. I think now that all the people in the clearing were a family but their features, white skin, brown eyes, brown hair are common enough that they all could have been unrelated. I'm sure they lived together. They knew each other's signs and signals and they used their own words. I know that the Smokies are full of tales of feral people, like wild men, superstition. I also know that they are full of people living in unlikely ways in unlikely places and that those people call others kin and that through the chain of human connection, even a recluse living in a rundown shack is someone's somebody. I guess I'm asking if the people in the story are somebody, someone, or if they're known, or if their behavior rings any bells. I don't know. I figured here where the tale would not be discounted out of hand might be the right place to ask. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Blame It on the Aliens. I want to hear your stories. If you have a spooky story, it doesn't matter what genre. If it is scary, send it my way. You can email it to blameitonthealiens1 at gmail.com or you can scroll down, click the voice memo link and send it that way if it's just way too much to type out. I would love to hear your stories. You can also follow me on social media blame it on the aliens podcast on instagram and blame it on the aliens pod on tiktok you can dm me your stories and just follow along with newest episodes etc on there and also do not forget to rate review subscribe it means a lot to the show and you can hit the notification bell on spotify to get updates about newest episodes and yeah i think that's just about it tell your little friends who love spooky stories about this podcast and spread the word tag me on social media just you know all the things thank you guys and i'm rambling today but if you can't explain it blame it on the aliens baby